that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 as we continue through this evangelist's witness of Christ. Um, and if you remember, we have been in a context really referring to hell. There's two roads. I mean, last week, you could, you could either have the worm that never dies and the fire that's never quenched, and the worm was maggots, if you'll remember. We can choose to be the offspring of a fly, the larva of a fly, which was, we know that the, the lord of the flies is Beelzebub, the devil, or we can choose Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul, speaking to the church in Rome, says, I urge you, brethren, considering the mercy of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, that would be the fly, that would be the maggot, this world, don't need to sway a Beelzebub, but be transformed metamorphosis by the renewing of your mind so you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we want the metamorphosis. We want to become new creations. Not, not the sin nature that was given to us by the devil, the father of lies, right? And then become a larva or a maggot or an offspring of the devil and think we're actually becoming something different and become twice the sons of hell like false religion causes. We want the true Word of God to take us and make us a new creation from, from, from the cocoon, the metamorphosis to a butterfly so we can fly away to heaven. When that number is called up yonder, we'll fly away. Some of you older saints will remember that. I'll fly away because you've been transformed by the renewing of your mind and you're proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen to me. A living sacrifice. What's going on with the sacrifice? There's a priest that always takes the sacrifice and he has to handle it. He has to touch it. He has to look at it and inspect it and make it holy. Christ perfectly with His blood makes us holy. Practically, as we handle Christ and Christ handles us, we're becoming that perfect living sacrifice which is evidence to the transforming power of God. And we should be that witness to others as they see us flying. Not hiding in fear because of the lies of the wicked one, but flying in life, soaring, being set free. Now listen, being set free with liberty. Therein, therein is the rub of the road. We've been set free with liberty to follow Christ or follow self. 
to continue to follow the world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one or to begin to follow Christ. That's our choice still because God is never going to force us to do His will. He wants us to train our hearts to automatically follow Him, to automatically love, to automatically care, to automatically have mercy and grace to others, to train our hearts to be like Him. And that is a choice from moment to moment, from day to day, to be transformed into the image of Christ. Which choice are you making today? It's a choice that you make always. So as we look at this, we can be salt. He closes chapter 9, verse 50. Salt is good, but if salt loses its savor, King James, its flavor, New King James, how will you seizing it have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another? How's your seasoning? How's your salt? How's your witness? How's your life going? Because it's getting ready to get even more serious in chapter 10. See, it's all about what he's talking to us about. about If anyone desires, listen to me, what is your desires today? If anyone desires to come after me, Jesus said, following him, where's he going? He's going to a cross. He's going to lay his life down. He's going to pour his life out for others. And that death has to happen before resurrection can happen. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get resurrection without dying? Man, that'd be good. That'd be like having your cake and eating it too. Listen, we have to die to self. If you desire to come after me, let him deny himself. That's how you begin to train your heart. I know I'm recapping. Beginning to say no to what you want to do trains your heart so you can die completely, so you can be crucified completely, so that you can rise in the resurrection of life to be with God forever. But it takes a beginning of the training of the heart to get to the death spot, to dying to self, to always, even in the hard times, even when you're like, oh man, this is going to be so much suffering, I still choose to die to self and do the will of God. It's the same way with training children, and that's what God's doing with you and I. That's why in chapter 9 and chapter 10, He's got a child in His arms. Listen, He never picks up humans and holds them in His arms. He picks up children and uses them as examples. A parent is supposed to be training their children in the way that they're supposed to go. A parent is supposed to be loving their children in the way that they're supposed to go. A parent is supposed to be doing that. And that's what Jesus, we see Him doing as He's dealing with, 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 with kindness and compassion and love with those around Him. Even those that He knows are going to go to hell, He still does with kindness and compassion. He still gives them a chance to repent. Do you remember the last night of His earthly life? in the upper room they're celebrating Passover he's going to institute communion and Judas is still in the room and he breaks bread one last time with Judas and he hands him the bread which is an offer of fellowship because you only ate with your closest friends and he broke bread and he drank with him and then he got up and he went out and it was dark John 13 tells us it was dark 
Because in darkness is where all evil happens. And he goes and he sells out the Lord for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. He always offers the hand of fellowship, even to his enemies. He's saying, turn. And then when, just like Pharaoh, if you remember in Exodus, the Bible gives us his testimony. Listen to me. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Let my people go. Well, let me make a deal with you, God. Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he kept changing his mind. And the Bible testifies that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What do you mean? God did it? No, the word means to confirm. And we need to confirm whether we're going to be children of Beelzebub, or are we going to be children that are transformed into new creations that, that follow Christ? See, he confirmed his heart and he said, it's, now you can't change your heart. I'm going to use you to show my awesome power upon the earth. And then he brought the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. Do you guys remember this? If you're Bible students, if you're Bereans, the death of the firstborn. What did he do? He killed every false priest in the land of Egypt. 1,000 gods, 3,000 temples, and they would sacrifice and give their firstborn all to be the priest of their false gods. And what he did was killed every priest. He said, no, I'm God. And if there was any other God, you'd be able to stop me from killing every one of the priests of your false gods. And he proved his power. He proved his might. He's proven himself to be faithful to us as his children. Why would we choose to be worms? Why would we choose to grow maggots the rest of our life and choose death as opposed to choosing to fly? Choosing to follow. It's because of the deception of the devil. He lies to us. Therefore, we need truth. Therefore, we will move now to truth. We will learn to have salt. When you obey, you're going to be salt. When you listen, you're going to be salt. When you have the Word of God in you, you're going to go out and sprinkle it on others so that they can come to salvation. You have salt. But, you know, the Bible teaches if it loses its flavor, it's not good for anything. But to toss it out on the ground, you know what that means? They put salt on the pathway when it was not good for seasoning food, not good to stop. They put it on the path to kill the grass, to kill the weeds so they could walk down a path perfectly. Mm. And it would be trampled underfoot when it was useless for anything else. Preserving life and seasoning life, protecting life. So let's move on because with that thought, here listen to me, the thought is a heart that's either listening to God or not listening to God. Because that's the only two places you can be in life. You can be on the grow or you can be living in your hard-hearted life and getting harder, more crusty, losing your salt that He's given you. That's why I'm always saying be on the grow. Because we need to be in the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship daily. 10-1, very tough subject we're going to step into. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again. 
And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. Then Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took him up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Let's pray. Father, we cry out to you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we pray that you would help us to understand this text to receive it with meekness for the saving of our souls and to be those whose hearts are softening, receiving your words and repenting so that we can grow and go and tell others of your great mercy, of your great grace that's new every morning. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Deal with us kindly. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look. It's 10-1. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. It's the, region, it's the area of Perea, Decapolis. And multitudes gathered to him again. And he, as he was accustomed, he taught them again. Now listen to me. He's, he's in the area of Perea. Keep that in your pipe, okay? I don't know if you can say that anymore. Maybe when we were... Years ago, and they'd smoke a pipe only on Sunday after church, and it wasn't such an addictive habit that destroys you. Okay, so I won't say that. Strike that from the record back there, please. Keep that in the back of your mind. Perea. It's where Herod Antipas is ruling from. Perea. Herod Antipas is the one who had John the Baptist arrested. But he wouldn't kill him, but he had him arrested because he said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And then remember, he was tricked and he had to cut John the Baptist's head off because he spoke truth to him. So just keep that in the back of your mind and we'll come back to it. Because I had a couple other points I want to get to before we get to the Pharisees' question of deception. So they're in Perea. The multitudes gathered to him. Notice multitudes are gathering to Jesus. It's a very smart thing to do is to gather to the man of life, to the God of the universe, to, to the Messiah, to, this, to one who is our Salvatore. 
and the word again, this is the word I like. That's what I wanted to get to. The word again. He taught them, but again is repetition. It means once more. It means anew. It's something that God has placed in my uh, uh, wheelhouse of repetition. I think it's worth repeating. I think you keep mentioning it. I think you tell them what God said and you tell them again. Because repetition is what God wants us to get. So that we'll begin to apply it to our life. So He's teaching them again and again and again. It's not tedious to repeat the gospel. It's not tedious to repeat that the devil is a liar. It's not tedious to continue to inform people to get into the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship and have a personal love relationship with God. It's not tedious to keep repeating that because there's nothing that I can do for you except give you truth. When you get to the throne room, you're not going to be able to turn around and go, Ain't that right, Greg? Well, my pastor said, Well, I was led astray. Well, wait a minute. I didn't get that. Can we do this over? Right now is the time to get it. Right now is the time to say, My heart needs to get this. Through repetition. Through reading the Bible over and over. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but you can. I, I do it every time I get up here on Sunday. I'm studying. I'm like, I've read this like 20 some times or more over the years. Every year reading through the Bible. And then I start to open it up and I go, Where'd that come from? That's in the Bible? This is what he was really talking about? And I was so superficial, I was so shallow in reading it and not even studying it, not understanding His heart and His mercy and His compassion and His love, and that He wants to deliver me out of this. But it happens every single time. Because when you begin to dig a little deeper, you find out the heart of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God. And he wants to tell us over and over and over, I love you. Don't do that. I love you. I died for you. You can trust me. Walk in my goodness. Walk in the newness of life. The devil's a liar. Just over and over and over. And yet, you know what we do? We choose our sin nature. We choose the lie. I pray that you are grasping, grasping the truth of the gospel. And you're wrapping your arms around it, letting the Holy Spirit lead you out of this pit of hell so that you're not living according to this temporal world. You're not living according to what they're fighting about out there. You're living according to the message you're supposed to give to others. You're trying to be salt and light so that souls can be saved. Because see, when you get caught up in the political battle out there, I mean, I really don't care at the end of the day whether Joe Biden's president or Donald Trump's president. I could care less. But so that I can keep preaching the gospel, I will vote for Donald Trump. Now, as I've told you, he might be the Antichrist. I don't know. I don't even really care. And when you start looking at it and you go, okay, let's add all this up. I don't care. I'm just looking for a president that says no to killing babies. I'm looking for somebody that says no to all the things that God's against. And yes, he is messed up. 
And no, this is not a political statement. This is do not get caught up and forget that we're supposed to be saving souls. I come out of a gun shop the other day. Yes, I believe in the Second Amendment. I come out of a gun shop the other day. I was only buying shells. I come out of a gun shop the other day, and I had just seen a man go in with his girlfriend says, Hey, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, Sure. I don't know if I can answer. She said, you have to have a license to buy a gun in there? I go, I don't think so. I think they'll sell you one without a license, but if you put it in your car, you better separate the shells and the gun, as best I know, to get it home, because you have to have a license to drive around with it. I don't know if even that's true, but that's the way I understood it. You know, and then I was able to share the gospel with her. And it just so happens, I'm not... I'm not, I'm not a being a racist. I don't even own a car that's fast enough to race. She was black. So I was able to share the gospel with her and tell her that the devil is just trying to pit us against each other. See, that's what they used to do in prison. In prison, you have one guard guarding about 140 people. And so they would keep the black and the white people fighting each other. They have all these little gangs and factions, and they keep you fighting so you don't really realize that you could actually overtake them. And this is what the devil does. He likes to keep confusion and battles going on. So you never think for yourself. I'm not trying to tell you to overtake the government. Hold up. Back up. Just take the analogy just a little ways with me. But you never think for yourself. You stay in confusion. You stay in the war that they're fighting, in the battle that they're pushing, in the, in the talking points that they want you to deal with. And you're supposed to be here in the Word of God and say, what did God tell me to do? Not what did Joe Biden tell me to do. Not what did Donald Trump tell me to do. What did God tell me to do? He told you to be a living sacrifice. See, the problem with living sacrifices, they get up and walk off. None of the sacrifices in the Old Testament got up and walked off except for one. Guess who it was? The scapegoat. They killed them all. <laughs> You'd walk up to the priest and go... I've sinned, and this is what I've done. And while you're holding its head, they'd take a knife and slice its throat, and its blood would run out on the ground. Right there. The only sacrifice that ever got up and walked away that was presented was on the Day of Atonement when they would bring two goats. See, they couldn't make resurrection. So they would bring two goats, and on one they would confess all the sins of Israel, they cut its throat and die. The other one they would lead away as far as they could because they could see it no more. And it represented resurrection. Represent, that's the only one that ever got up and walked away. Because Jesus got up out of the grave. And if we're living sacrifices, we have to stay in His hands. And if we don't stay in His hands, then we'll be conformed to the world instead of transformed by the renewing of the mind. So we can be the evidence that there's a living and true God. Evidence that there's going to be a resurrection. Evidence... The salvation is real. And that's how you're going to continue to be salt. And you've got to hear it again and again and again to get it. Once again, have you ever read the Bible and go, Wow, I read that last time, but I didn't see that part there. That's what we're talking about with repetitiveness. And again and again and again. Because we're hard-hearted. And we're hard-headed. And we are rebellious. And left to ourselves, play religion 
instead of surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit as we get into the Word of God and we're washed and cleansed. But you're no different than anybody else, and neither am I. So while he's there, it's Perea. It's on the other side of the Jordan. It's in the region of Judea. It's really the cities of Decapolis, which means ten cities. He's teaching them, and he's teaching them the same things that he continues to teach. Notice that when you have another evangelist tell it, he tells it a little bit differently. Quite possibly, it's because he repeated some of the same things, because there's nothing new for us under the sun. He keeps telling us about life and death. He keeps telling us about truth and lies. He keeps telling us to keep our eyes fixed upon Him. In verse 2, the Pharisees came and asked Him. Now He's getting close. We're getting close to the, to the arrest and re, uh, uh, crucifixion. And they came and they asked Him a question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is that the end of your sentence? Notice what's going on. Testing Him. King James says, tempting him. Listen, they didn't really want an answer. Reminds you of any political parties? They didn't really want an answer. They just want to divide and get people to choose sides. They don't really want to solve the problem. They just want you to vote for them. question it's very good to come to jesus and ask questions listen he has all the answers the problem is is will we listen do we really want to hear do we really go to church to get answers to our questions do we really pray to get answers to our questions or we really pray and to understand that what life is and what he's done for us or is it some spiritual exercise because somebody told you if you go to church you're going to be okay or is it a relationship where you actually come together and you reason and you speak to him and he answers you? And he says, if you come and reason with me, though your sins were as scarlet, they can be white as snow. He'll continue to transform you. But you have to come and build that relationship. And when you're asking, you have to accept his answer. You can't come and ask God just to tempt him. Hey, uh, like, um, can you make a rock too big that you can't lift it? What's the point? What's the point of the question? Trying to confound God? You're in a bad place if you think you can confound God. Do we really want to know the answer? That's the point. These guys are tempting, they're testing, they're trying him. What do they want him to do? They're in the area, remember, where Herod Antipas actually had John the Baptist's head cut off. In fact, we've seen this in chapter 6, where Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist come back from the dead. So they thought, if we stir up some trouble, maybe Herod will come get him. If it just gets through the streets that Jesus spoke against divorce. Jesus spoke against marrying your brother's wife. Maybe. But listen, if nothing else, if, they just, if he just says no, he causes division. Now you've got two camps. Because one camp taught you could divorce your wife for any reason. If she burnt to supper, you're out of here. You can write her a certificate of divorce. 
Another camp taught you couldn't. You couldn't divorce unless there was uncleanness, fornication, New Testament pornea. There was some type of adultery, some type of sexual conduct that was not allowed except in the marriage bed, that it's outside the marriage bed. So two schools of thought. Notice very importantly, this is where I want to get you guys so that you can be critical thinkers, so that you can let the Spirit teach you, so that you can get into the Scriptures and say, wait a minute, this is just what I've been taught. This is just what they say. This is just what they say. But what does God say? See, because Jesus could have answered them. He knew what they were doing. He could have answered them and argued and, 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 and beat them to death with the law. He could have answered them and, and argued with them and beat them to death with His wisdom. I mean, He, he was wisdom incarnate. But even though they're the enemy, even though they're trying to test him and tempt him and try him and and get him in trouble, he knows what's going on and he still loved them. Notice the love. He doesn't answer their question. What's he do? He asks them a question. Look, watch. Look at the wisdom of God. And he answered and said, verse 3, to them, what did Moses command you? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? See, Moses, they worshipped. Moses represents the law. Moses, I mean, you can't speak against Moses. I mean, that's really the reason Jesus was crucified, the reason that Stephen was the first martyr. They're speaking against Moses in this temple. They're speaking against the law. They're speaking against... They always put man before God. And both of the opinions that he could have answered on would have been man's opinion of what the Word of God said. So he led them to the truth. Listen, do you really want to know the truth? That's the question here today. You got questions for God? You got questions about your actions? You got questions about life? Do you really want to know the truth? Or will you settle up for the world's answer? Well, we all evolved from a amoeba. We crawled up out of Will you settle up for whatever it takes to keep living your life the way you want to live? Or do you want, you want to take the others? Oh, here's another side. Evolution, that God is involved. It was evolution that happened, and it was the Big Bang, and then God got involved, and then He said, I'm not going to touch anything for a while. Think about it. There's an answer out there for any way you want to live. You can find a place to camp out and continue to think you're okay. But what does the Word of God say? That's what he's really saying to them. He used Moses to draw them near. Because they worship Moses. They lived everything. They said, oh, we, we're, we believe in Moses. We believe in all the Old Testament. Well, what did Moses say? Because really, think about it. In reality, Moses didn't say nothing. Moses told them what God said. Moses wrote down what God said. But they want him to answer the way man has been answering. And the argument has been going. Do you want to, do you want to answer people according to the argument of the street? Do you want to meet people where they're at in their heart? Or where they're at in their feelings, in their emotions? See, if you let the Holy Spirit lead you with the Word of God, you can meet people in their heart. You don't even know what's going on in their heart, but you can answer their heart. If you let the Holy Spirit use you. 
Or you can stand around and intellectually browbeat. You can stand around and just talk to the physical part of a person without the Spirit of God. Two different ways of doing church. Two different ways of being salt and light. You can choose to study the Word as knowledge to beat somebody up with. Or you can say, wait a minute, my God is compassionate. It's because of His mercies we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. My God wants me to go to people and realize that I'm just like them. And if I'm not like them anymore, I used to be like them. And they can only be saved if I hand them truth. What did Moses command you? Now listen to their answer. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. couple words there. Put her away is, is divorce and dismiss is put away. It's the same word. Both of them are the same word. Both of them means to release, to send away, to dismiss. Both of them mean, listen, to set at liberty. Moses permitted. He suffered us. He allowed us to, to have liberty. See how man changes things? Now see, I, I don't believe that Moses just made that up. I believe it was already going on. And that he had to deal with it as a man, as a leader. What's going on? What do I do, God? And God allowed him to give him a per, under sin. Because see, we're going to see here in a minute, Jesus quotes Scripture. Because it wasn't like this in the beginning before sin. But after sin, all of us have hard hearts. And we begin to do what we want anyway. So, to protect the woman, to protect the one that was the weaker vessel... Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. Now, why is that important? That certificate and that divorce and that suffering, that allowing was never meant to divorce somebody for any reason. Pay attention. Pay attention. We're talking about heaven and hell. We're talking about divorcing somebody after you became one vessel with them. Pay attention. Very, very important not to miss what's going on here. It's the devil trying to destroy the entire testimony of the church and Christ, which is a marriage. And God has said He will never leave us nor forsake us. Let's just um, read on. And Jesus answered, Moses allowed it. Now we've got him. Now we've got him. He's going to say the wrong thing now. And Jesus answered and said to them, he spoke directly to them. He didn't speak in a way that it would divide and critics could attack him and choose one side or the other, which was the two obvious answers of the day, the two obvious parties, the two obvious... He said, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. Listen, because of the hardness of our heart, where's your heart at today? Is it hard and it resists God? Or is your heart soft and it wants to go with God? Why are we here? Why are we here? 
Do you want to know truth or do you just want to ask questions and argue and wrangle? Do you want to grow and become a butterfly that flies away to heaven, uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind? Or do you want to stay a maggot? Listen, it all depends on whether you want to hear what God has to say or you want to hear what man has to say. If you want to hear what man has to say, you can think you're becoming a butterfly and you're really becoming a maggot still. Twice the son of hell, the same way the Pharisees did it. Or you can hear what God has to say and it can set you free. Before I keep going so that you don't shut down on me, in case you've ever been divorced, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Let me just get that out there for you to protect you so your heart will stay open to hear what I have to say. It's not the unpardonable sin. That's not permission to get divorced. That's saying it's not the unpardonable sin. That simply. But God hates divorce. He hates it. He hates all sin, though. He hates murder. He hates liars. He hates evil. Pride, arrogance in the evil way. So don't get lost. Listen to the Word of God. And let Him soften your heart with His compassion and love and mercy. And receive with meekness the implanted Word for the saving of your souls. You toss the seed of the Word of God on a hard heart, it will not accept it. It will not grow fruit. It will not change. So ask the Holy Spirit to pour water out on your heart and soften it so the seeds of truth will sink down into that and grow fruit. Some 60, some 30, some 100. You want to bear fruit. If you have no fruit, John 15 tells us, He'll cut you off and give you your reward with the rest. Because of the hardness of your heart, He wrote this precept. But, notice the contrast. Jesus is bringing them back to the Word of God, the truth of God, the way of God, what it was in the beginning. Because that's what salvation is doing, is bringing us back to the beginning. Salvation is righting the wrong. Salvation, all the creation, is crying for redemption. We're being redeemed back to the place we were in creation, in the garden. Sin being dealt with. Rebellion being dealt with. The devil and his lies totally being dealt with. Right now... The certificate of divorce and all the divorcing is underneath the the sin nature, underneath the sway of the wicked one. But in the beginning, when God created, notice the truth that we get out of this that can just totally turn upside down the world and the systems of the world and the education of the world and the school systems that are lying to all of our people. Why are they killing people in the street? Why are they rioting? Because we're lying to them. God created in the beginning. When you begin to lie to people and you raise them with those lies and you train them in those lies and they don't believe in a God, why would you think they would care about life? Either you don't believe in God or you hate God in order to kill babies. Either you don't believe in God or you hate God in order to go in a way that would take life from others. And laugh about selling baby parts. I mean, these are serious stuff that's going on in our society right now. 
Because we're training people that were just biology, that were just tissue. It's just all about making money. Listen, God's economy is in people. God's economy is in souls. God gave His greatest possession to win souls, to save souls, to redeem souls. There's much more going on here than any type of material stuff, any type of jockeying for position, any type of importance to us when we would lift our Savior higher and higher. Notice every bit of this argument here, every bit of this questioning and tempting and scrutinizing Christ is just about power. See, Jesus is becoming very powerful. People are listening. The crowds are coming again and again. They want to hear Him. And He makes sense. And they're like, we've got to divide these crowds. Whether they choose Pharisees or Sadducees, we've got to stop them from choosing Jesus. So it's all about power. The same way you see in our society today. It's all about power. Let's just lie to them. It's all about power. Who gets to rule and reign? Well, at the end of it all, the devil is the one that's trying to gain power. He's trying to rule. He's trying to rule over you. He's trying to be your father because he wants you to be a maggot until you take your last breath so you can go to everlasting hell. As opposed to hearing truth and you get to be a butterfly. You get to be transformed. You get to be a living sacrifice. See, salt, if you're salt, kills maggots. That's how we got there last week. Remember, I googled, what kills maggots? Really simple, salt. One of the simplest things to kill maggots, because every living thing has to have water. And if you want to be a living soul in Christ, you have to have the water of life. You have to have the Holy Spirit. But salt will dry up that water so that you die. And that's what it does with maggots. So I want all the salt I can get. But I don't want to put too much salt on others that I dry them up and they no longer want to hear the truth of the love of Christ. Very delicate balance that I haven't managed to uh, harness yet by surrendering to the Holy Spirit. But that's still the goal of the heart is not to be so hard that we would try to conform people with religion, but we would try to get people to surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, you can believe, you can listen to a lying witness, and if you still listen to truth and follow it, you can be saved, and that lying witness will go straight to hell. Isn't that amazing? That's because God wants you to have a personal relationship. So the priest is always inspecting your life. The priest is shining his light into your heart, into the dark places. And preparing you as a sacrifice. Changing you into a butterfly. Metamorphosis. But from the beginning, verse 6. Beginning. We had a beginning. Of creation. Genesis 1.1. God made them male and female. Notice that's not a question. If you want to, If you want to argue about whether marriage is male and female, whether God created male and female, whether somebody is or isn't, listen to me, listen to me, because I had this the other day. Somebody texted me on the phone. Okay, prophet. 
1% of babies are born with both gentilia. What if the parent makes a mistake in choosing which the baby is, a male or a female? I said, it's pretty simple. There's the Y chromosome. It's a man all the time. Am I right? Anybody know the Y chromosome? I believe it is. That's what I told him anyway. He said, good answer, because he was sitting with a doctor, and I didn't know it. But you can test for these things. There's a dominant chromosome that makes you a man. There's a dominant chromosome that makes you a woman. It doesn't matter if you have, if you have dysphoria and you are a man and you think you're a woman. It's not true. God created you fearfully and wonderfully and He made you specifically a man. He made you specifically a woman. And if you were born with some type of a malady like that where you have both gentilia, it's because of sin in the world and the devil brought original sin, not God. But he's allowing it to play out to prove once and for all that there's no wisdom and counsel against him. That he can make a lesser creation to defeat a greater creation if they will just listen, if they would just surrender and obey. And that's what Christ was. He became a little lower than the angels. Satan was an angel. He was an anointed cherub. He came a little lower than the angels, Hebrews tell us, so that he could die a sacrificial life and atone for us. So he became a little lower as a man and poured out his blood. Listen, we just need to listen to the truth of God. We need to search it out. And even when you don't know, listen to me, even when you don't know, trust God. If there's two schools of thought, trust God. Find out what God says about it. Don't think that through peer pressure you have to choose one of those sides. Do you guys remember I was talking the other day about it. I heard somebody repeating this. I've heard it a million times. You have a whole classroom, 30 students in it. The teacher has a plan, wants to prove. I forget what the concept is called. And the teacher gets alone with 29 of the students and says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to say two and two is five. How many knows two and two is five? And all of you raise your hands. And there's going to be one student that doesn't because everybody knows it's four. And after a long period of time, that other student, through peer pressure, agreed and said, okay, it's five. Because that's what peer pressure does. That's what lying enough does. You want to belong. That's what family's about. That's what marriage starts with, and then it creates family. The reason they join gangs, the reason they're in groups, the reason they do all of these things is because they long to be in a family. God put that longing in you. But the devil keeps messing it up and says, okay, you didn't have a good family. Come join our gang. But to join our gang, you have to kill somebody. And then we go out and kill somebody and sell our soul just to be part of that gang when we can just believe in Jesus and trust in the blood and become part of his family and be set free. We don't have to join some crazy gang or some crazy club or some crazy you fill in the blank. Become part of the family of God and surrender to the word of God and live for God. And become salt and light. Anything else is hardness of our heart. We're looking for our own notoriety. Looking for our own gain. Looking to be somebody on this planet. But when we humble ourselves and we soften our heart, He lifts us up. From the beginning, God made them male and female. If that's in question, listen to me. For everybody that wants to trust the government, everybody that wants to trust the medical people that are out there telling us about things, for everybody that wants to trust the legal system, for everybody that's been deceived into thinking that you can trust them, what did the Supreme Court say? 
about marriage? Is that the people you're going to trust in? Well, I guess if they said it, we'll have to follow it. I guess a man can marry a man and a woman can marry a woman. Absolutely not! God made a male and female. And when He made a male and female, He actually made the first marriage institution. That's marriage. Listen, this is where we got to get. I'm going to get to the rest of the divorce part. I know you guys are just like, well, wish you'd get to the end of this and just let me go home. This is too intense. It is intense, but you have to let the Spirit teach you how to come to these conclusions that are godly and not ungodly. And you're in the street screaming and yelling over Black Lives Matter and following some communist group that comes straight from the devil. Listen to me. Maybe 80-85% of Christians are following and believing in Black Lives Matter. And they're willing to destroy the only family they've ever had that loved them, the church, to proclaim that. And they're willing to destroy any other opinion. Listen, if I say all lives matter, that means blacks are included. That's non-racial. That's the most non-racial thing I can say. If it's all inclusive and every life matters, then why are people being fired for it? Because it's not about race. There's the human race. It's about truth. They want you to believe their truth and follow their leading and have their doctrine as opposed to God's doctrine. Will you hang your hat on it? Or will you bow your knee? It's very important. It's going to get ready to get worse. Everybody's like, well, no, it won't. As soon as Joe Biden's elected, it'll all end. No, it won't. That's a calm before the storm if you're thinking that way. Well, as soon as Donald Trump wins another term, it'll all be over. No, it won't. They'll riot more. The only way that it's fixed is Jesus. They're arguing over worldly flesh. And that's what's going on here. From the beginning, God said no. Let's keep going. Male and female. For this reason, listen to it. We're quoting. It's quoting from Genesis 1, 27. It's repeated after the fall. Listen. It's repeated after the fall in 5.2 of Genesis, after the fall, when Seth is born, and men begin to call upon the Lord. For this reason, a man shall leave and cleave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That's the word cleave, King James. And the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate or put asunder. King James. Notice the man is the one leaving. Notice the man is the one in authority. Notice the man is the one starting a new household. Listen, men, you're in authority. You're supposed to be the leader. Notice the man is the one leaving. It doesn't say a woman shall leave. 
In fact, you better be careful trying to make the woman leave. She's more emotional. She's more attached to her mom, her dad, her family, her ways. You better be careful trying to make her leave. It's actually a picture. Let's flip it. Bam! Let's flip it. It's the church. The woman is the church. And God laid His life down. And that's what He tells husbands to do. Love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the Word. He woos us. He softly and slowly with compassion and mercy. He leads us into the marriage unit. Because we say, oh, I believe in you, Jesus. And then we fight and rebel and we live like hell. But He's great with mercy and compassion and He's long-suffering and He's slowly... He left. He left the home in heaven. If you've seen the movie yet, Before the Wrath, we're going to watch it on movie night. He left His Father's house and He came and cleaved to us. He joined with us. He became a man. And He died for us. What's my point? The point is, is the devil has been, since chapter 2, and we ain't, I'm not going to go read it. You can go read it. Chapter 2, God made male and female. Chapter 3, the devil rushed in and attacked the marriage unit. Because he can upset the apple cart, attack the Word of God. He can attack the marriage. He can get the, the fruit of the marriage, which is the children of God, that we're supposed to be training in the way they're supposed to go. And I'm ahead of myself, but verse 16, listen to me, parents. If you're saying, well, we're just going to let them grow up and they can choose their own way when they get older and old enough. That's from the pit of hell. If you let them just choose their own way when they grow up, then they're going to be taught evolution. They're going to be taught every lying science, everything the world has to offer. And they're going to be so confused, maybe with gender dysphoria, that they'll never come except by the grace of God. Which is how we all come. So don't be disparaged by that. But your calling as a child of God, as a, as, a, as a Christian, is to train them in the way that they're supposed to go. What was Jesus doing when He came? He was training in the way we're supposed to go. He was a living example of how to humble ourselves, even to the point of death on a cross. He is training us even now. He's teaching again and again and again that I love you, but you have to listen. You have to do it my way. There's no other way to become like me except to surrender to the working power of the water and the Word. And He gave His life so that we would listen. He became our friend. He became our kinsman redeemer so that we would listen. Not so that we would harden our heart as in the day of rebellion. Three times in the book of Hebrews. Go read it. Chapter 3, chapter 4. What did they do? They, re they hardened their heart. When God was saying, do it this way, they hardened their heart. They hardened their heart. They hardened their heart. You know what happened? They fell dead in the wilderness. None of them entered into the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua. Those two. All the rest, two and a half million, that were, well, probably two million, over 20 years of age was the only ones, under 20 years of age. All the rest of them hardened their heart. So listen, Jesus is saying, don't, don't join popular opinion. What does the Word of God say? The Word of God says He hates divorce. But once again, it is not the unpardonable sin. 
A man shall leave his father and his mother. That's the family unit. There's supposed to be a father and a mother. Notice the dual witness, male and female, verse 6, seven, father and mother. You see the dual witness by the mouth of two and three, let a matter be established. He's joined. He cleaves to his wife. It's a word for glue. When two are joined together, if you've ever seen something welded or a board's glued together and you try to split them apart and you splinter it, and see, and that's why we're going to talk about children, because children are the ones that are actually hurt by the hardened heart of those who do divorce. Let me just show you this, too, what the certificate was for, because I forgot to. It's Deuteronomy 24. I meant to show you this, because somebody's going to say, well, Moses told them they could. Moses said they could. Deuteronomy 24. The reason was to protect the party that was innocent. Deuteronomy 24.1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, you know, because in, in the Jewish culture, in, the, in this, this culture, women didn't go and go, hey, I want to divorce my husband. See, some, in some ways we think that, because right now uh, the majority of divorces are instituted or started by women. They're not started by men. They, now, don't get me wrong, the actions of the men might make her start that, but women are the ones that, by and large, go and file for divorce. But in the, this culture, only men were allowed to file for divorce. Women were treated like cattle. And God was, with the certificate of divorce, protecting the woman. As He always does, He protects His bride. And it happens that she finds no... Excuse me. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Notice there's a house because we're in the father's house. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall bring sin on the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance." Now, verse 5, if you want to see it, listen to this. This is an amazing thing here. If you want to know, the certificate was to protect that wife. The certificate was don't divorce for any reason. So he's basically answering their question. It has to be uh, uh, something that's uncleanness. But watch verse 5. When a man takes a new wife, he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one year. And bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. Happiness, I believe, is cheerfulness. Do I have that somewhere? Thought I had it. Oh, yeah. Cheer her up. To brighten her up. To make her glad. To make her joy. Listen. The man has to leave his all the, the, the surroundings that he knows. And he sets up a new house. And he has to establish the leadership in it. He has, to, he has to, to make sure that his bride is comfortable and that he's living with her in a godly way, that his prayers are not hindered, that he's taking care of her and he's loving her. And she feels like this is her home. And that's why God even had protection of her in the law to give that husband a year off of any business so he could make sure the bride was at peace and in comfort 
He can make sure that she was okay. Listen, listen, husbands, if you're not loving your wives as Christ loved the church, listen, husbands, if you're not being the authority and taking care of your bride, you're going to be in some trouble. Listen to me. I'm not joking. I'm not talking about like kicked out of, out of heaven and go to hell. But God d- does not like it when He gives us authority and He asks us to do things. It's plain sin not to love your wife. It's plain sin not to take care of your bride. It's plain sin not to put her first. God cares about her happiness and her protection. You become one flesh. You're supposed to lay your life down for her. This is serious stuff. And everybody that knows me knows that I always deal really harshly with the man. Not to be mean, but to address that we have an obligation that God has given us. Oh, we all want to be the leader. It's my house. But we don't want to do anything to lay our life down to win that house, to love that house, to make sure she has joy in that house, to make sure she feels at home and that you love her. But look what Christ did. He was anointed, He was called, and He laid His life down. He died and poured out His blood for His bride. And that's our example. That's our example. That's why you can't just give a certificate of divorce for anything. That's why you can't just divorce somebody for anything. God hates divorce. I know you want me to get there. Go there. It's Malachi 2.16. It is not the unpardonable sin. You know what the unpardonable sin is? It's hardening your heart to the Holy Spirit and never listening and never growing and never going and never being transformed and you stay a maggot and you get tricked, deceived by the devil. One of, the first, one of the first observations God ever gave me, I heard somebody use it the other day, I was blown away because everybody always made fun of me for it, is that to live backward is evil. Just to live. The word L-I-V-E is evil backward. And if you're deceived and you stay a maggot and you die, you have lived, and that backward is devil. The devil got you. But God has given you 66 books with 40 authors and the Holy Spirit to wake you up so you don't have to be evil and tricked by the devil. We have truth. It's here. He came and died for us. He gave us an example. And there's things that he hates. And the devil wants us to do everything that God hates and still think we're okay. Listen to me. See, we've been saved to follow God, not saved to do everything that the God hates and the devil wants us to do and still say, I'm okay, I'm saved. Grace will cover it. Everything's good. See, that's what happened to the nation of Israel. Oh, we're the people of God. We have the oracles of God. The Messiah will come from us, from the tribe of Judah. We know all of these things. So they made up their own rules. They walked away from God and He came and they killed Him. We should not repeat that. That would be the devil deceiving us. What did I say? Malachi 2. Is that what I said? 2. Let's start in 10. Ooh. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another? By profaning the covenant of the fathers. Now he's speaking to, to the nation of Israel, but he's speaking to us also. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Now he's talking about, see, at this time when he's writing this, the tribes are split. Judah is the southern tribe of Judah, 
It's got half the tribe of Benjamin, but, but Israel is the northern ten tribes that, that are going on. For Judah has profaned the holy institution which he loves, marriage. He has married the daughter of a foreign god, unequally yoked. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awakened and aware. If you're awakened and aware and you know better, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts? After you just know and you continue to do it and you ignore it, his institutions, his word, and you still try to bring an offering, he's insulted by that without repentance. That's what communion is for, for us to get our hearts right and say, I've been just doing this and thinking I'm okay to sin and do anything I want and everything's going to be fine. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Why? Because there's a lot of worldly sorrow and no godly sorrow. Weeping and crying does not prove that our hearts are rent for the Lord. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. It's a covenant with God. God is in the middle of that covenant. He's the one that makes two one. It's supernatural. It's spiritual. The two become one. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. What was the first command that he gave them? I was going to read all of this, but you'll just have to remember it by, by heart. Go and replenish the earth. Go and be fruitful and multiply. Can Steve and Steve be fruitful? Can Sue and Sue, and if it's your name, I apologize. I'm just saying, can two males be fruitful and multiply? Can two females be fruitful and multiply? So the very attack on marriage, the very attack on this is attack on God's word of the first command given to go and have godly offspring. We're commanded to go and train them in godliness so that they would live for God. He seeks godly offspring. Even as we come and we are married to Christ, He wants us to be witnesses and make disciples so that He can have more godly offspring. It's in the spiritual realm also. We're supposed to be having children, begetting children, because we're married to Christ. And He transforms us. And as His bride, I'm His bride. I began to have children. Everybody's supposed to have children that's the bride of Christ, that's a child of God. You're supposed to, to long to go and lay your life down so other people will come to salvation and they become your children in Christ. Paul writes of Timothy all the time, my son in Christ, my offspring in Christ. 15b, therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Don't put her away. Now listen, somebody's going to say, well, it says if she dies, somebody's going to say, well, you know what? When there's adultery, that's what Jesus adds to this text over in Matthew. He's to, Mark is talking to a Gentile uh, community, so he doesn't say unless someone commits adultery, which is quoting the law. Listen, if you commit adultery under the law, what happened? 
They're supposed to take you and the other, the other person and go stone both of you, and you're dead. Marriage unit over with. Dead. They would stone you. It was over with. God knows how to deal with it. If there's adultery in the marriage, kill you. Take them out and kill them. But instead, because of the hardness of their heart, they had a certificate of divorce. And when it happened, they allowed that if there was fornication, pornea, if there was sexual sin, that you could put them away with a certificate instead of stoning them to death. For the Lord God, 16, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. Did I read that all right? It's uh, Malachi 2.16. For the Lord God of Israel, the Lord God, Yahweh, of those governed by God, Israel, says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment, the wife, with violence. All divorce hurts the women more than anybody. It covers the wife with violence. For one, she was supposed to come as a virgin. Now she's defiled, and then you put her away. She's no longer a virgin. And it defiles her. The certificate was to protect her if you put her away. It was never supposed to be done just because you wanted to. God hates divorce. There's never, ever supposed to be divorce. Under sin, we have divorce. Do you know that the divorce rate in the church is absolutely the same as the world. Much like in the nation of Israel, because you know what? They looked at it like not a spiritual issue. They looked at it like a legal issue. Just a legal issue. We got a certificate here. It's legal to do it. It's not legal to do it. Instead of looking at it as a spiritual issue where they have a covenant with God. And that's the way we've taken to do in the church today. Is we've taken marriage and turned it into a legal issue, a happiness issue instead of a holiness issue. It's a spiritual issue. And if we would take more time instead of rushing into marriage, instead of letting our hormones decide marriage, we would let God decide marriage, we wouldn't be so quick to divorce. Not many years ago, you could go to court to get a divorce, and you know what the courts would say? No. Take care of your wife. They would just flat out deny you a divorce. Unless you could prove adultery. We just keep getting further and further away the same way Israel did. Where you can divorce for any reason. And it says here, God hates divorce. Listen, it's not the unpardonable sin. God loves you. Just like murder is not the unpardonable sin. And all of us will sit here and say, listen to me, just listen. Get this under grasp. Not trying to condemn that if somebody goes out and murders somebody, that sounds more unpardonable than divorcing somebody. No, I, I, I ain't going to commit murder. That's what I want to do to her. That's what I want to do to him. Listen, I'm just going to divorce him. Neither one of them are unpardonable if we repent. But when our heart is like, oh, I can just get married and then I'll just divorce if I ain't happy later. See, we are, we are defiling the sacred institution of marriage, which the devil wants us to do so he can destroy godly offspring and he can destroy family and thus destroy society. And thus have everybody thinking that there's no God because we don't see the power of God. We don't see the truth of God in the streets. 
We don't see godly children being raised up. No, because we're following the world standard of indoctrination in the school system that teaches lies. And then we send them to college and give them four more or five more years of lies. That has nothing to do with godly offspring. Yet we feel like, as Christian people, this is the way they got to go. I got to get them educated. I got to save money all my life so I can pay for their college. I got to save money so I can make them professional and so they can be successful because I don't feel like I'm very successful. It's a lie. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're a child of God. If you are a saint, then you are here to bless others. I don't care what you do. You can be cleaning toilets and you still are here to bless others. You still have the gospel to give them, the truth to give them. It's not about your job or your position down here. It's about your correct position with God. Are you right with God? We're following the standards of this world and what their schools say. Think about it. There's the other big argument. Well, trade school is much better. No, you better go to college and come out of college, $60,000 in debt. Well, trade school, you can go right to work and you can make a lot of money. Well, we've got to go to college because I want to be educated and I want to know that i got that certificate. We're arguing about two schools of thought, but God said, train them in godliness. But the devil's got us arguing about these two schools of thought that we forget about God's Word. The first and most important thing is to train them in the way they're supposed to go. Sorry, I'm getting a little excited. Maybe we got to quit. Where are we at? Malachi 2.16. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment, the wife, with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Then he has a third thing. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say... In what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? Listen, God is a loving God who loves us with a never-ending love. But do not forget to balance that with a God that is a God of justice. He would not be loving if he didn't punish those who ignored him and disobeyed him. He would not be loving. Now the good news is, is for the one who truly believes in the blood of Jesus, Christ paid And for us to have to suffer punishment over it again would be double jeopardy. Christ already paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future, if we truly believe. But if we truly believe, the Spirit in God would come in and dwell us and and would behoove us. He would urge us to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service, considering that mercy, not to be conformed again into a maggot, but be transformed into a butterfly. Transform into the newness of life. Walk in the newness of life. Go forward and be salt of life. Not continue to be a maggot and think I'm okay. That's deception. That's deception. And then he actually says the coming messenger. The next, the next text, chapter 3, is about Jesus coming. He's the one that's going to save us all because God knows we deal treacherously, that we all have the same nature, that we all do the same things. We're all deceived by the devil. If we don't listen to truth. The two shall become one place. Let's look back at our text. 10.9 Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. Marriage is God's institution. Man cannot change it. The Supreme Court cannot change it. It's male and female. 
and it's God's way, and it's supposed to be a perfect witness of God's love for his bride, the church. Read Ephesians 6 about that. Husband's supposed to love his wife as his own flesh, because she is his own flesh when they become married. Any thoughts like, oh, I shouldn't have married them. We shouldn't be together. Oh, any of those thoughts, those are all from the devil. If you want to have a happy marriage, listen to me. Let me just tell you really quickly. It's your sin that's interfering with the happy marriage. It's your relationship with Jesus. Do your part. And this is what I always counsel people when I counsel them. Live in a way that no one can accuse you if the marriage fails. And the only way to do that is to know what God has called you to do in the marriage unit, how to live in the marriage unit, and to trust the Spirit for the marriage unit. Looking at your wife or looking at your husband and saying, but they always do and they, they always say and they never do. That, that, that's from the pit of hell. That's called victimization. That's what you see in the streets today, from the pit of hell, because the whole world's underneath the sway of the wicked one. Somebody else's fault. I need reparations. It's somebody else's fault. It wasn't my fault. It's somebody. That's a victim. We're not victims. We're conquerors in Christ Jesus. And this victim mentality is changing the landscape of the world. And that's why I say, don't hide in your house in fear. That makes you a victim. Fear destroys your faith. If the finish line is to be with God, who cares if we get sick and die? Bad statement, isn't it? Think about it. We need to be wise. The devil wants to kill, especially somebody that's preaching the gospel, especially somebody that's being salt and light. But do you know that most of the circuit preachers of the 1800s died in their 20s? Well, why did they die of, Greg? Did they die of lead poison? No, nobody shot them. They died of simple disease while they took the gospel, no matter how sick they were. Go read about it. No matter how sick they were, they seen it as a call in their life to get the gospel out to other people. And they would get on their horse and ride from town to town preaching the gospel, sick with malaria, sick with all kinds of diseases. And they didn't stop and go, well, i got to quit, I'm sick. They died preaching the gospel because they knew it was the calling. They knew that getting the gospel out was the most important thing. The most important thing is not getting little Johnny into college. The most important thing is getting little Johnny into heaven. But we're living according to this world's standards and not the gospel. God hates divorce, but He'll forgive you. But if that's the plan of your heart, you might not be saved. If you think you can get married just to throw it away. And if this doesn't work out, there's somebody else. Listen, all about desiring to follow Christ, denying self. Marriage can be suffering. Marriage can be painful. Not mine. Marriage can be bad. Not mine. Uh, Listen. It's part of life. You're dying to win somebody else to the Lord, to make them the better spouse. I mean, see, we've got this this happiness and holiness all mixed up in life. And the question again becomes the Word of God. Do you want to be happy or you want to be holy?
Christ could have stayed in heaven. He was already holy. He didn't have to come and die to be holy. He did it so that you could be holy. So get your eyes fixed on your own sin. Be the spouse you're supposed to be. Repent. And get in the Word of God and begin to be salt and light to the world. No matter where you're at. God will forgive, but we reap what we sow. Absolutely sad the way that marriage is treated today. In fact, the bigger problem is is that people aren't even getting married. They're just cohabitating. So when you look at the marriage and divorce rate and the statistics that are filed, they're so bad because you're not even counting all the people, the millions and millions of people that just live together. And after five, six, eight years, they just go, okay, get out. And they move on to the next partner, to the next partner, to the next partner. Five, six, eight years at a time. And this is not to condemn. This is just speaking truth. It's sin. God hates it. He hates sin. And He died so that you and I would not be sinners. Lord, teach us to obey. Give us a heart to obey. Give us a desire to lay our lives down. Verse 10, in the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Notice who it's against. Notice it's, it's, it's in against somebody else. The, the most, it's the word epe, the upon experience of the Holy Spirit. You put it upon somebody else. A man is supposed to be protecting his wife. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Again, this is uh, uh, Christ speaking. This is not like, okay, well, let's sit down as men. Let's just sit down as a church. Let's just sit down as a people and let's decide. There it is. Over with. There's nothing to decide. It's the Word of God. Is it the unpardonable sin? No. It's not the unpardonable sin, but it is sin. It is committed. It can be forgiven. And again, it's the children and others around and the witness that it gives to the world that is the most damaged. I cleaned a lady's carpet the other day and I seen her face and knew something was different. I cleaned it in 17, 2017. And I wanted to say, is your husband still here? And I don't because then it puts you in that awkward position. Yeah, he's in there cooking potatoes. What do you want him for? You know, but I looked at her and said, oh, it's good to see you. She goes, you, don't, you didn't know my husband died, did you? Instantly. She knew I was a pastor. She knows who I am. 63 years of marriage. You know, and yeah. And it's different when customers weep with you. It's different. But it's also a pleasure to be there. And her granddaughter was there, 30 years old, taking care of her and comes over. And what a blessing, you know. We don't do that anymore. Me and my wife have been married 23 years. That's 40 years difference. 23 years. Hmm. Used to be, I think it was in the 40s, divorce was 1%. Because we, we taught that God hates divorce. 
Sin was a scourge. You say, it was all hidden. Well, it should be hidden. It's supposed to be done in the dark. It's not supposed to be in the middle of the street with gay parades and stuff. That shows the culture and how far we've fallen from God in a few short years. It's not supposed to be done and walk around proudly. We're supposed to humble ourselves. The recorded divorce rate is probably somewhere in 60% in the church today. Most marriages last about eight years. I was reading the statistics that, I forget what it was, 465 divorces will occur in the time that it takes for two people to say their vows. It's crazy. I was reading the statistics. Where's my phone? I know you guys are ready to go. Get off a divorce, dude. Listen, it's it's really it's it's really about divorce, but it's not about divorce. It's about are we going to obey the word of God or listen to different voices out here that have an opinion on the word of God and then obey one of them who are way off from the word of God. It's not what we want to do. We don't want to begin to every 13 seconds there is a divorce in America. Again, leaving aside the fact that many of those people aren't even getting married. But for people who get married, every 13 seconds there's a divorce. That equates to 277 divorces per hour, 6,646 divorces per day, 46,523 divorces per week. And do I need to extrapolate? Oh, there's nine divorces in the time it takes a couple to recite their wedding vows. Two minutes. Nine every two minutes. 554 divorces occurred during the typical romantic comedy movie. People actually sit down and do this. I'm like, really? That's interesting, but why would you do that? You should have been out preaching the gospel. Now, i got to bring this in, and we'll close, and I'll pick it back up next week. But notice the next text. This is God in His godliness. This is God in His, in His sovereignty. It's about children. Because marriage is always about children. Marriage is about Christ and the church and making disciples. Marriage is about replenishing. Marriage is about being fruitful. And you can only be fruitful when it's godly marriage. So He goes straight to children because that's the offspring of marriage. I love the depth of the Word of God. Then they brought little children to Him that He might touch them but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Now listen to me. That's the whole important thing. I don't want to be a rebuke to you this morning. I want you to know that God forgives, that God loves, that God has called you out of darkness, and you can go forward with God and, and, and live a life for God. That's not an excuse for divorce. That's, that's redemption from it if you feel the guilt and shame and you're beat down by it. But this was typical that they would bring their children to popular rabbis to touch them. Today we just buy their books. Rabbi means teacher. And the disciples were like, the teacher's too busy. Get, get the kids out of here. He don't do that stuff like others. And Jesus was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But Jesus saw it and he was greatly displeased. He was not just a little, he was much upset about this. Listen, why? 
He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid, forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God is made up of children. That's why he's a father. The children of God come to a father. The son has come to win us and redeem us and bring us back to a father. Into a family. Because we all long to belong and be loved in that family. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. He talked about that in 937 in so many words. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. That word there means it's a eulogio. He did an eulogy. We do eulogies at people's funerals. He did it on the little children. He blessed them. He prayed over them. He prayed that they would prosper. You have to receive the kingdom of God as a little child. You have to understand that you're being saved from this crooked and perverse world, from a father of lies, and you're being delivered back into a house, into a kingdom, and you're being brought back to a loving father who walked with Adam and Eve, the first family, in the garden. And if it were not for sin, we would not have this destruction. We would not have this chaos. And if your life is in chaos, you might want to go back and check and see if it's in sin. If you can't have peace and you have confusion and you're afraid and you can't walk in peace with God, you may want to go find out why. Are you believing a lie? Are you living in sin? Are you ignoring scriptures? Is your heart hard where you can't receive the word of God and it will go down deep and produce fruit? Listen, people, from, from, from the bottom of my heart, we need to get this. From the pit of my heart, we need to get that there's a relationship that a loving God wants with us. Yes, He forgives sin, but He doesn't forgive sin so that we can go follow sin. He forgives sin to set us free so we can follow Him. So we need to get our eyes fixed upon Him. And ask the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts so we can receive the truth and stop following the world and its battles and stop participating and joining sides. I'm on God's side. He hates evil. And that's what I tell people. The devil's the one trying to destroy the world. He's divided his house. All you have to do is look. If you don't see the chaos, black lives matter and we kill more black babies than any other baby in America? Get rid of guns, but let's defund the police? None of these things make sense. They don't even go together. They cut off your your nose despite your face. But they're warm and fuzzy. They make you feel good all over. You ever seen somebody stand up and say, Walls don't do any good. Well, then build a house without them. What does it mean when you say walls don't do any good? How come the wild dogs don't come in your house at night? If you live in the country. Come on. Or, come on, man. I'm sorry, I'm just keeping it real here. Ask God for some wisdom. 
and in obeying. But stop being a victim and being mad and hating everybody. It's really what it is. When you're a victim, you hate everybody. And if you don't forgive from your heart, you're always going to be a victim. If you don't realize you come from the same place everybody else does, you're always going to be a victim. And if you don't realize that there's no redemption apart from Jesus' blood, you're always going to be a victim, a victim of Satan's lies. Father, bless our day. Help us to get alone before you and repent and then walk in the newness of life so you can transform us. Lord, we don't want to be lied to anymore. We don't want to be maggots, offspring of the devil. Set us free. Lord, we pray for salvation of souls and that no matter what else we do in life, you would use us as salt and light so that other souls would come to salvation. Send us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana, 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?